week's episode of Reno White. My name is Connor McQuivy. I'm your host. Thanks for joining me. This week on the show, I am welcoming Donald Griffin and Romar Tolliver, the founders of Black Wall Street Reno. Black Wall Street Reno is celebrating just over a year in operation, a nonprofit here in town focused on providing resources to the black community, doing backpack drives, food drives, resource distribution, classes, workshops. They just moved into a new space. Super exciting stuff going on with the organization. And it was awesome to sit down with Don and Romar and talk about the origins of Black Wall Street, what they're trying to accomplish, the missions of their organization. Really, really exciting stuff. And I was so glad to be able to sit down with them and learn a little bit about what they are doing for the black community in the Reno area. This week's episode is brought to you, as always, by DJ Trivia. I host for DJ Trivia at several venues, several nights a week. If you haven't come out to play, I hope that you will check it out. It's a ton of fun. We are at bars and restaurants all around town. There's probably one in your neighborhood. Go to djtrivianevada.com to find out a location near you and come play. It's free, a lot of fun. Hope to see you soon. This week's episode is also brought to you by This Is Reno. This Is Reno is my favorite local news source. It's the only locally owned independent news source in the Reno area. They're always covering stories that you're not going to hear anywhere else, really breaking important news. So check them out, thisisreno.com. Also, follow them on social media. That's usually where I see the articles and keep in the loop on what's going on. This week's episode was recorded at the National Automobile Museum. They have a podcast studio now and are doing a lot of great work to make the museum a destination for events. They've added a lot of new features. It's a really awesome place. So I hadn't been to the museum since I was a kid before I started to use the podcast studio, and I was blown away by how cool it is. So if you haven't been to the museum lately, go back and check it out. It's pretty awesome, and I really appreciate the ability to use their podcast studio. So huge shout out to the National Automobile Museum. Just a quick note on some audio issues on this episode. The podcast studio at the National Automobile Museum is great, but it is not immune to user error and technical issues. There's a couple moments in today's episode with a little bit of echo or little bits of audio dropping out. That was the result of my user error. Always learning. So thank you for your patience and hope that doesn't distract you too much from the conversation. And now this week's guests. Don Griffin and Romar Tolliver from Black Wall Street, Reno. Welcome to Renoites. Don Griffin, Romar Tolliver from Black Wall Street. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for having us. Let's start off by telling me a little bit about what Black Wall Street is. So I know that you guys have been active for a year or so. A year. We just yeah. had a year mark in August. Cool. So what is the mission of Black Wall Street? What do you guys do? Black Wall Street is here to serve the black and underserved minority uh, youth throughout the Sparks and Reno area where we conduct backpack drives, food distribution. Right now we're going to be at Pilgrim's Rest for every Thursday, passing out healthy sack lunches, showing the kids how to uh, do healthy eating. On Mondays from here on out, we're going to be at Vaughn Middle School off of Vassar. So every Monday and Thursday we're giving back to the school district and showing the kids how to eat properly. Mm -hmm. You also do a lot of like resource distribution stuff, right? So I know you've had a couple events at... Stewart Park, which is where your office was before, but you guys just moved into a new space too, is that right? Yeah, so we'll be uh, relocating to 1301 Cardone. That's the Rise Academy Adult School. And we're going to utilize their parking lot as well to pass out food, donations, school supplies, coat drives, everything that the community needs. Mm -hmm. How did you guys get started? What was the, the origin? So you guys met, how did you meet, and what was the like origins of Black Wall Street? Um, we had met at, at the gym. We were both going to the gym at Fitness for 10 down here. And uh, I had seen him already doing some some outreach within the community. And at that time, I was collecting a few little books. Around the time when everybody was marching for the George Floyd, you know, uh, I just felt it was it was a need to channel that energy and build something positive, something that the community can benefit from instead of the, you know, protesting and marching that that gets us nowhere and no results mm -hmm. yeah no i was interested in that because i listened to you guys on up in the mix too and you talked about this a little bit and i wondered about kind of the position of black wall street in terms of getting actual stuff done it seems like the focus is less political and less uh, symbolic not to say that black lives matter and protest and stuff isn't important 
but there seems to be a real focus on actually collecting stuff, distributing stuff. And, and you said with the books, I know that you guys do book distribution. I went to the office that you're in now and like tons and tons and tons of books. You're actually trying to like get out in the community, that kind of stuff. So can you talk a little bit about uh, just more of the focus on getting stuff done? Like what's your political angle? Yeah, our, our focus is not, we're not political. We're not religious. You know, we operating from a heart space of, of empowerment. You know what I mean? We're trying to be those figures in the community that we needed when we were young and searching for some guidance or, or outlet. We know we matter, but some of these kids don't know they matter. They're not seeing those uh, action, real-life action heroes, so that's what we hear. they only seeing them on TV, Black Panther, and that's cool for entertainment, but until they see those role models doing throughout the community, they have nothing to look for. They don't know they matter, so we're there to show them, hey, you do matter. You know, somebody's listening. I love you. I see you. I recognize you. Basically, you're not troubled. You know, you misguided a little bit. So let's help you get back on track. Let's find out what you're missing to apply those actions. If you need to get something off your chest, we're here so you can talk. I noticed that angry kids do not know how to express their anger. So they become angry adults. And that comes to not problem solving or miscommunication or no coping skills. Mm hmm. Yeah, there's definitely a focus on the youth, right, with Black yeah. Wall Street. Can you talk a little bit more about why that's the focus? Because there's obviously need for, you know, people of all ages. What we learned from, from doing our outreach, from being boots to the ground, you know, meeting people where they're at, we're bringing them services. It's a little harder to, you know, get them to want to do for self or, you know, participate in their own rescue. But kids, you know, they still have drive and dreams that, you know what I mean, you can still help them push and, and inspire to achieve. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, that makes a lot of sense. And I think that by focusing on young people, that's like a pretty universal thing. Like everyone is going to be supportive of an organization that is helping young people to succeed, right? And that lets you partner with a lot of different types of organizations. And I think staying kind of apolitical probably helps with that too. I've seen you've done stuff with like the ACLU, You've done stuff with a lot of like the homeless activists, like outreach community and like Don you used to work for a downtown Reno partnership, right? So there's this, no, no, no. Oh, tell me, tell me about your, tell me about with the ambassadors or kind of what the so connection there is there. Oh, so ambassadors, uh, is a great resource. I, I love working with them. They're out there boots to the ground every day, conducting wellness checks, uh, I see throughout the community that we will walk over somebody who was laid there, passed out. And the ambassadors are those that's there that's making sure that those people are still alive. Those are the ones that do care, as well as um, show support for the misguided. So as an ambassador, I wear that uniform proud. I, I love what they do. I love what they stand for. Right on. Yeah, no, I think it's uh, it's great that you're able to have those partnerships with like the entire spectrum of people that are doing different types of outreach and work in Reno. Cause I know when you get political, sometimes it makes it harder to work with different groups or different people or whatever. And I really admire that you guys seem to connect with everybody, right? It's like a pretty broad set of partnerships. Can you talk a little bit more about other organizations or people that you've worked with in town? Uh, Liz McFarland with Project 150. She has been our, our biggest help, hands down. Like she, Liz McFarland, Project 150, Forever 14, Carrie, uh, Eddie House, Quest. Everybody's been reaching out, and we just sister partner with Catholic Charities, so they're helping us with a lot of the food pantries. So that's how we're setting up these different food pantries to give back to those that look like us and those that don't. Let's see, Romar, you're from Reno originally, right? Born and raised here? Born and raised in Reno, yes, sir. Can you talk a little bit about kind of how Black Wall Street ties into the changes in Reno in recent years? What have you seen change in Reno and kind of how is Black Wall Street trying to work on those issues that you've seen become more and more of a problem? My driving inspiration, you know, comes from seeing the whole black community kind of gentrified as well as, you know, prison the pipeline type of results growing up in northern nevada northeastern reno that would be the section uh where a lot of the, the black people come from there was a, a point in time where 
yeah, everybody I knew in my neighborhood was was in prison, you know what I mean? And there was not any other outlets, trade schools, no 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 nothing. A few went to college or whatnot, but those that go to college, they tend to, you know, continue on with their life. They don't come back to the community to, to give back and build establishments that the community can benefit from. Mm. When I think Black Wall Street, I think of like the original Black Wall Street has this the idea of black entrepreneurs, business owners, building a community, supporting each other, that kind of thing. Is that a big part of what Black Wall Street Reno is trying to do too, is create Uh, like business leaders and have that kind of um, like economic growth in the black community in Reno? Exactly, exactly. Our goal and focus is to establish something to where we have our own shopping center, you know, we have our own small little credit union and just to empower those that, that look like us. We're not excluding, you know, anybody else, but we want to love ourselves first. Mm -hmm. In a lot of major cities, you have the the Chinatown or the or the Korean town, or you see uh, the Spanish community with a lot of establishments, their mm-hmm. own stores and you know retail places, and that's just you know we're trying to provide for ours and and, and do for ourselves as well. Mm-hmm. What is that like in Reno, which has like a relatively small black population? Like Reno has a you know growing minority population, but a lot of that is Latino, uh, and I don't think people think of Reno as having a particularly big black population in general is five percent or less right so is it is it harder to do the kind of work that you're doing when it's not as large of a chunk of the population like are there other organizations can partner with or do you guys feel like it's more challenging i think that a smaller group of people that we should come together collectively and easier but it's not uh, <laughs> For some reason, um, it's different when we're dealing with different organizations. I just say we're dealing with a, a group of white women or white males. When they come to the table, they say, what do you need? How can we help you? What do you need? How can we help you? For it seems like our people, we have to build it before they come. They have to see it before they actually say, you know what? We can see where you guys are heading with this. But other people, they business like minded, you know, it's don't get me wrong, because we got a lot of people behind the scenes that are helping us, you know. But just as far as a collective of community come wise, no. Yeah. So there's just this need to like prove yourself first before people are gonna Basically. So how's how's that going so far? So you've been up and running for a year or so, like what kind of successes have you had? Have you had a lot more people buying in? I saw the governor was up here meeting with you guys a couple months ago. I think it's just staying consistent and dedicated, and uh, that that's been the proven. Yeah, just like day in and day out, right? I see you guys are working. I see you post all the time. You guys are hustling. You guys are doing a lot of work. Yeah, right? is this something you're doing full time? How does the the structure of Black Wall Street work? Like, if you guys are running the show, um, what does it look like on like day in and day out? Who are you meeting with? What kind of stuff are you? doing on the daily early mornings late nights uh you know non-stop grind answering emails setting up appointments picking up dropping off meeting people where they're at trying to provide service i mean it, there's always something to do and that's why we're trying to build a build a team of those that you know are trying to sacrifice for the greater good yeah so thank you ma'am uh awarded us a grant for X amount of dollars, which allowed us to get a, a, a in a new location. So now we're looking for grant writers and help put people in place to help us work. Also to look for a bigger building. Like you said, we want our own little strip mall. That way we can have our own hairdresser, our barber shop, a place where we can do laundry. You know, everybody's not privileged to have a washer and dryer or enough money to go to the washing machine. So we will do that. But just those small efforts from these different people has allowed us to continue in our growth. And you might just see us, but it's a few people behind the scenes like Christina Bell, uh, Edward Coleman. There's some people back there that's helping push mm-hmm. this. Yeah, no, I imagine that like trying to get people to to volunteer and be involved is a big part of growing the ability to do stuff. Just a handful of people can't do everything. You need to build coalitions and have more people involved. And the money thing is too really interesting is how you can fund something like this where it's, you said, a lot of grant writing and that kind of stuff to try to bring that money in. What's the process been like trying to fund all the work that you do? At first, we were 
coming out of our pockets, you know, so it was like I'm paying rent, also paying rent at the location. So we were kind of, you know, we got it done, but it was a little struggle to it. And then people start seeing and start giving donations and that those donations come a long way. But it's so much is that if you come show us how to do it, you know, then we can put it in works for ourselves as well. And we do have a young lady who just reached out who volunteered to do a, a grant. We also have a young man that's also helping with a grant. But just grant to get some people in to help us because it's just us two. Even though there's some people behind the scenes, boost to the ground and just him and I. Mm-hmm. From the like the heat of the protests and stuff last year was a lot of activism around supporting black businesses. And I saw lists going around of like local black owned businesses. And there was a big push to support those business owners. And I haven't seen as much of that recently is that something that you guys noticed was happening at the time and is that something that you're currently focusing on now so obviously you want to have a place for these businesses to be centralized like a community but there are a lot of black owned businesses in town that uh, we don't hear about necessarily as much as we did in the real like heated part of the protests um the existing black businesses and bringing attention to them is that something that you guys are doing too i think that um like i said once we build it they will come but as far as that, like you say, it was just that heat of that moment. It was something to fight about. And a young lady said one time, and I don't think she meant it this way. She was just like, yeah, you know, we kind of got burnt out on it. And I looked at Romar like, we can't get burnt out on being black. This is not something that we can take home and hang it up. Like, okay, uh, I'm going to be Chinese tomorrow. It's, it's, we can't do that. So this fight and that ignition is always in us every day. That's why you always see us posting, boost to the ground every day. We're doing something because it still has to be done. That was just one of millions of young black men or women who has been hurt that hasn't been seen. This one was just televised. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit more about some of the, the programming and the stuff that you do, because I know that it's very broad. So you do this like resource distribution stuff. And um, I've seen you do like fitness classes. You take kids to go rock climbing. There's like a wide, wide range. So how do you figure out what the community needs? Like what is the thing that will be most beneficial? Where do these ideas come from? Kind of like how do you prioritize how to spend this time since there's, you know, only so much time in the day? Boots to the ground and meeting people where they're at, getting feedback from the community, you know, seeing hands on what's what's going on, what what's the need. And from a few resources and backpack drives that we did in the community, um, along with, you know, resources, we seen that, you know, families was in need, children was in need. The pandemic kind of exacerbated any stress levels that, you know, single parents were dealing with, as well as the struggles that kids were dealing with, with the homeschooling, you know what I mean? And um, it just helped us kind of, channel and prioritize where our efforts would be most mm-hmm. effective. Have you had to like shift gears at all? Have you gotten feedback about what's working and what's not and had to add other activities or other, you know, programs that you're doing? Like, can you talk a little bit about how you've shifted? We didn't, we didn't shift gears a few times. Uh, when we first started off, we were um, focused on feeding the homeless with the under, under the wells mm-hmm. overpass. So a lot of our donations that came in, we would put together survival packs, hygiene packs, and uh, go feed the homeless. And then it kind of channeled to information. We could feed them all day, but they needed information. So we hosted classes at Black Wall Street, fix your credit classes, stop the bleed class, seal your record class, you know, financial classes. Um, and then we seen that, you know, there was still a need for the kids to be empowered. Yeah, with things like classes and outreach and stuff, I imagine that there's sometimes some struggle in getting people to self-motivate, getting people to show up, getting people to to care. You know, there's a lot of real issues that people, uh, they care about kind of like in the background, but getting people to show up to a class or show up to some kind of meeting and actually uh, take action, I imagine, is part of the, the challenge, right? And a lot of those classes we were hosting free. Um, but we see like on the internet, people charge for the, for that type of information. You know what I mean? So we were hosting classes free, maybe a small donation at the door if you had it to give. But for the most part, the classes are free. 
the resources are free. Every, everything we do is, is from the heart and it's free. Mm-hmm. And I mean, do you find that people are taking advantage of these things or is it sometimes a, a little bit of a, a like pull to try to get people in? It's been a sad turnout before where we had a young lady come to host a class and it was just him and I. I mean, we learned something from it. We're trying to give back to to the youth and let them know, hey, you know what? Somebody told you to get a job, pay bills, have a family, retire and die. Nobody told you that there's fun between this, that life is bigger than 4th Street. And, okay, you can do a lot of things with just a good credit. A lot of people just live off of credit, you know. So we bringing these teachers in. And unfortunately, the, the people don't want to learn. They're stuck on the phone or they're stuck in front of a video game. That's, you know, get out of your comfort zone. Right, comfortable and complacent. And uh, that can be a, a detriment to your dreams. One of the biggest challenges for people to try to do something new and do something bigger with their life is that we live in a world that really does kind of make it very easy to just go numb to, mm. you know, Again, like it's very easy to kind of not uh, not easy to coast. A lot of people struggle, obviously. So I'm not trying to say it's easy to just like coast. It's a lot life. of distractions. It's a lot of distractions. Exactly. Yeah. There's a lot of things that make it uh, more difficult to to focus on the like the long term goals and and making big changes in your life. I think breaking people out of that has got to be a huge challenge, especially when people have been downtrodden for their entire lives for like generationally to break that mindset of like, no, like we can do more and we have to do more. Uh, I imagine it's part of like a, a real challenge in, in building up this community. Right. And I see these kids at tent city, uh, they're young, they're 21 strong off of heroin or crystal milk. And it's sad. Like this is somebody's daughter. Reno's not that big. So, you know, she has family here, you know, he has family here. What happened that we don't have that structure or the family not sending out a rescue party, you know, and I know because I I dealt with addiction for 23 years. I know it until I was ready. There was no coming to save me. I might have rest points. They call them getting arrested. That's when I rested, you know, and those are dry out periods. You arrest somebody and they do about four or five months. Hopefully, but they're not setting any structure. That's where I see that Black Wall Street to come into place. And I see that there, it's easy inside the classroom. They have that, that invisible shelter around them. Once they step out of that classroom, what are your hobbies? Who are you? What is your purpose? Who sent you here and what is it that they sent you here to do? And what prayer are you here to answer? And that's how I think we got the most fulfillment and, and the inspiration to keep going is helping others. You know what I mean? That's how we win. It's a win-win. You help yourself. You help your community. You help somebody's child. I mean, that's how we win. Yeah. I think that um, that helping people, it gives you a sense of satisfaction yourself too, right? So it's this win-win. You're helping someone. And it also makes you feel good about yourself and want to do more of it. Uh, you know, like positive spiral basically, right? Feeding this, the spirit of humanity. There's the spirit of, of mankind. You know what I mean? You're helping. Mm-hmm. Send a little kid right off on a bike and just um, absent-minded of everything that's going on that's negative in the world. And they're focused on that bike, that scooter or a backpack and just seeing them smile. And that's pure innocence. And that what, that what makes the universe spin. And when you start missing out on that, all you see is negative. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of people in my life I'm kind of familiar with um, like recovery programs, stuff like that. Um, so Don, like having that experience, can you talk a little bit about how that plays into your ability to do what you do, having, you know, struggled with addiction in the past? Um, can you just talk a little bit about how, how that's affected your ability to get done the things that you are doing now? Uh, it, it drives me. It, it keeps me, it keeps me motivated. I understand I don't understand what every person is going through, but I understand addiction, the part that they're going through. I understand that part of being up under a bridge, contemplating suicide with a needle in my arm. I understand trying to get sober and having no clue of how to. Uh, I'm now I'm at the, uh, UNR going for a drug and alcohol counselor, and we're writing these papers, and I see some of these remarks as, uh, the love for your child should make you stop. The drug had more 
power over me. I didn't love my kids any less, but I didn't love them enough to stop. I cared more about that lifestyle. So a part about becoming an ambassador, I was able to help people. I would take them to behavior health or well care. I actually helped a young lady with reviving her back after giving her Narcan. And I, I can work with those people because nobody gave up on me. You know, once I set my mind of getting sober, those people that were in my corner didn't give up. It was all on me. This is how you're going to mold yourself to be this new man. This is what you're making, and this is what God giving you the materials to create them with. It's not so much as coming out of a book. They understand that I do have these hands-on experience. I do have these scars. I'm going in for my third surgery because I have uh, screws from having a broken jaw from the lifestyle I live. And before I give God uh, any thanks for the trials and tribulations, I want to give him thanks for the blessings first, you know, because what I was praying for, I have to go through that path to get here. If he would have said, hey, Donald, you're going to be a founder, director of Black Wall Street, I would have been like, hey, I'm going to keep, continue to do everything I'm going to do. I don't need to get right because I know the outcome. And that's that journey that I went through. So when I'm doing an internship at the, the uh, Quest or anywhere I go, I try to let the kids know that it is good to have some book understanding. I have 23 years of hands-on experience. The books is giving me the proper words and giving me an understanding of what was going on in my body that, you know, I can't even pronounce some of those words that they have in the book. But I can tell you word from word of how it made me feel and how that can relate. So hopefully that answered your question. But so we we do all recovery classes as well as overeating classes, because I noticed that once we go to these programs, we just switch one habit with another habit. And some of these habits had to start mental. I had to mentally detox before I was able to physically detox. I had to get rid of all the people, places, and possessions. And I believe that is what's hard with the youth. The adults has know how to do it and know where they go back to. With the youth, they kind of see that, are you going to be back to that next meeting? Hey, what are you doing? And they kind of like, okay, <clears throat> this is a different feeling because now you're looking at me like I can save you like God saved me. And that puts a lot on me, but I'm willing. That's what I'm here for. This is what he made me to do. This is my purpose to go out there and take that key that he placed in my hand and open the door for everybody else. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you think that, that the lived experience is vital to being able to like identify with people that are still struggling with addiction and because you know what you're talking about and not just, uh, not just preaching to someone that you don't have an understanding of what they've actually gone through, right? Like having that lived experience, is that something that you think is... I, it can be debated because I, I believe that if you got a good upbringing, then you're going to be good in whatever you're doing. But those hands-on experiences, I'm thinking to myself, I understand that struggle. My recovery that worked for me might not work for you, but you just tell me how you want to structure and we have put it in place. As long as you're halfway ready, I can work with you. But if you tell me I'm not ready at all, I just keep bothering you till you are. Mm -hmm. Got it. Got it. Oh, I wanted to talk to you about the like uh, poetry stuff and spoken word poetry because I know that you um, have worked with Holland Project and that's something that you've been involved in too, right? Thank you. They are a big supporter as well. Uh, Jesse James uh, and for creating the spoken words. Um, Jesse James has a program at the Baruca Theater in November. So we spoke to the job coordinators. We're going to try to see if we can get some of their students or just any students that's out there that can perform without uh, kill, kill, bang, bang. I mean, talk about your life story, but make it people can understand what you're trying to project. But poetry is an escape for me. And it's just the fact that you can take these words and make them dance and make them feel the way you want them to feel and people can resonate with it. And you can just take a person's way of thinking and rearrange it, man. It's just a, a lovely art, man. And I love it. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. You do a lot of presentation, right? You talk to a lot of people as part of your job and part of Black Wall Street. And I imagine that doing spoken word poetry and getting in front of an audience and standing on a stage was probably helpful in kind of getting you to the abilities to communicate that you need to use now for Black Wall Street, right? It, it helps, but I'm always nervous every time. It, it, it's always been that way ever since I started doing the poetry or just speaking out. Sometimes it just flows out, and sometimes it's just, 
I'm nervous and still can't get it. So it's just like, but it lets me know that I'm alive, that I'm human, that I'm just not a robot and just saying, uh, uh, you know, it has some, it has some passion behind what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I feel that. I mean, I, I host trivia. I host a podcast. I used to be a tour guide. I basically talk to people all the time and still every now and then I'll get just like random stage fright, like nerves. Um, like that never really goes away entirely, I think, but just like practice all the time. Yeah. Let's talk about books. Cause that's how you started on this stuff too, right? Is this book collection and book drives. So can you tell me a little bit about why that was a focus for you? Like what got you interested in, in books in particular and reading and like that as a fundamental part of making some change? I used to do music. I used to be a local rapper. Uh, I went through some health scare. I ended up going blind in my right eye due to uveitis and a detached retina. So at that point in time, I was I was a nervous wreck. I was reading everything I could get my hands on. And uh, the more I read, the more it kind of broadened my horizon about, you know, just aspects of life and things. That just opened the door to to me wanting to do more, to thinking bigger, you know, have having bigger dreams, not not necessarily giving up. A lot of people, you know, thought I thought I wanted to to be felt sorry for or something because I lost my vision, but really that just made me more focused, more determined, more driven, and uh, I just had to channel that energy somehow. And creating the Black Wall Street was, you know, the manifestation of channeling that energy. Mm-hmm. You still rap? Yeah, I'm working on a few little, few little things. I haven't uh, fully put put my hobby down. Um, even doing the music, it's kind of like some personal therapy. Yeah, I get that. What's the? Uh, I feel bad because I'm pretty like out of touch with the. Uh, like arts and culture of the black community in Reno. I don't listen to a lot of rap music, so I'm not familiar with local rappers and stuff. Can you talk a little bit about what the the music and arts and culture and kind of outside of just Black Wall Street, that arts and culture community in Reno? Being part of the the hip hop community in Reno and and seeing it evolve, Reno has a a deep pool of talent. Uh, there's so many artists that that are are really awesome at what they do. Like Donna was saying, the the word play and to be able to paint a picture with with what you come up with um, is great. I think Reno has an untapped source of of talent, and uh, in the future, I think we'll be a mainstream community here. Right on. Yeah. What do you What do you guys want for the future of Black Wall Street? So you have all these programs you're doing. You've uh, you know shifted for the the needs of the community. So focusing on what the kids need now, that kind of stuff. Uh, Solidified community empowerment resource center, you know, solidified. What do you mean by solidified? Uh, Established to the point where black wall street will be around for the next hundred years or more, you know, Mm. it'll be able to, to thrive and continue to grow without us. Or when we, moved on and transitioned in life, you know, Black Wall Street will still be thriving. Mm-hmm. I get that. Yeah. So you want that kind of like long-term stability for the community that's not uh, not reliant on a couple of people continuing to push it forward, but something that's sustainable. The new generational right. wealth. Uh, I believe that we don't, we're, we're basically coming from, uh, I don't want to say lower class, but we're coming from an economic difference where we're not taught generational wealth. So we don't know how to pass it down. So we want to have something where this Black Wall Street can take care of our, our great, great, great grandkids, just like everything else around the casinos are taking care of their kids. You know, they push their kids to college. We want to take some of those burdens off of our family. We don't want to die leaving our family just a bill to pay for because we don't have any insurance. We want to have our kids go through college, our grandkids go through college, and build a platform for our kids to be have uh, some of the burden where they don't have to go think they have to go get a job at 16. Go get a job just so you can have your gas money and go to school and continue to grow. It just give us a, something to, to fight for and something to keep. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, no, I think you mentioned education there too, which I think is like a big part of the solution for a lot of economic inequality and stuff too, is getting people to stay in school, to go to college, that kind of stuff. Is that something that you guys work on too, is like the stay in school, that kind of focus on continuing education for folks? Sure, and we're also trying to get to UNR and talk to the students because these students that are born and raised here, they feel like they're trapped in Reno. That's all I hear. I can't wait to get out of Reno. So now you didn't went on and took your gift to a bigger city, and you're still leaving us still in the same predicament because you're trying to rush and find something else. And I do understand that everybody has their own dreams in life, but once we start putting stuff in place and showing them, hey, this is what we're doing to build up, you know, because everybody's around us. You have Wales, that's the Hispanic. You have Virginia, that's the Caucasians. You have the uh, um, motels, East India. We don't have anything besides a church or two, and that's only on Sundays, I think. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't go there. But anyway, you see where I'm going with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so having like a physical space, mm-hmm. right? Like a, a place that is thought of and known as central, is that? Yes. Yeah. What are you thinking? <laughs> like, logistically, how does that look as far as trying to establish physical roots in a city for a black community? Uh, what goes into thinking about how that works? I, I wouldn't even know where to start. Copy and paste. It's already been, <laughs> it's already been done, you know, the Black Wall Street. So it just lets you know. Now, Black Wall Street is not the only place that has been burnt to the ground. There's been over 32 other cities that has been redlined and demolished because of the upcoming and black community. So it's not like, hey, you know what? They were stunned by slavery and no, no, it's just stunned by people just keep knocking us down. So we have the structure and we have the power. Now we just need more of the collective of our people to come together. We're going to host a a black roundtable meetings where we come together. This is not where it had to go through a chain of commands. These are the bills we're passing. This is the buildings we're looking for. This is the architect that we need. Yeah, you mentioned the, um, you know, the original Black Wall Street and that that's not the only black community that's been destroyed. But that's not something that we learn about that much in school. Like the awareness of the original Black Wall Street has skyrocketed in the last year or two. And part of that is, you know, more uh, depictions in media. The 100 year benchmark. Yeah, this year was marked the 100th year of the massacre of Black Wall Street. So the information has kind of resurrected itself. So hopefully that that spirit as well has has resurrected and you know we develop that pride, integrity, that drive back into our people. Mm-hmm. And I mean, do you think that the education on that stuff is important too? It's also like for white people, like a lot of white people do not really recognize the uh, the history of like black communities in Reno and their own cities um, in general because we don't get taught that stuff in school that much like even here in our local community um black springs was the first black community here in in reno and a lot of people don't even know where black springs is have you heard I of black n- springs never heard of it tell me about black springs yeah black springs um when my grandma first came out here from louisiana mississippi um black springs was the prominent i guess it was developed by a lot of uh, the blacks in the in the Air Force or whatever, and it's located is it Lemon Valley exit right by Lemon Valley, Golden Valley. Um, it's a small little community, with a couple churches, community center it has what Martin Luther King Avenue, Malcolm X Avenue, uh, Kennedy Avenue, I believe. Um, but yeah, that was the first black community here. Hmm. When blacks weren't allowed to come in to Reno past McCarran type of thing. I mean, these these policies actually existed here. Yeah. So there is definitely a history here that we can study and we can learn that people aren't necessarily aware of or talking about, uh, which is unfortunate. Like, we want to know the history of our country, of our city, and the full history. And it's unfortunate now that there's all this debate about talking about whether we're going to talk about racism and like all of the debates around school boards and like critical race theory and stuff feels to me like we've already done a bad job of teaching people like the history of black people in America. 
and there's still this push to like these issues still need to be talked about and addressed you can't just sweep them under the rug that's like if if a person has cancer or something you want to talk about the problem to come up with a solution for the problem you don't want to ignore the problem because it's going to continue to to grow right yeah like you can't heal something until you diagnose it first right if you don't have any roots and know where you're from how can you grow so I asked this question among some uh, elderly white women. I said, where are you from? They all answer different individual answers. I said, now ask me where you think I'm from. My roots don't go that far back, as far as you know. And this is a history that they teach everybody that all we were were slaves. So I stopped watching TV because I'm watching... I remember watching Forrest Gump, and it's the part of the Arkansas, Arkansas Nine, and the girl drops her book. Tom Hanks, go pick it up. And I'm like, that didn't happen. You're lying again. Or I watched uh, The Mummy and everybody in there is European. I'm like, that didn't happen. So you just basically ripped us of all our identity. So we're still lost trying to find out who we are. And we're walking around in a maze. Every time we build a little something, they rip it apart. So now all you are is just the N-word on the corner. Are you trying to find your religion through Christ or uh, Islam or uh, whatever it may be? So until you find your true identity, then you don't know. And it's hard to kind of relate when all you think that you ever were was a slave. Like, do you think that all black, all around the world had kings and queens except for black people? <laughs> like, we're the only ones that just never had anything? So, and that's where it's at. Like you said, that's all we were taught. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, what goes in, do you think, to, to like rebuilding those roots? Is part of it looking at the history, the real history, and like bringing forward those stories of actual, uh, you know, societies that are existed and are powerful and, um, and making sure that you're recognizing those historical roots in addition to what we we're taught in our normal schools? And then also, is it uh, like creating the new roots here? Is that part of the the goal is both of those pieces of like the historical part and then also looking at the now and being like, okay, well, how do we build something solid that can be a foundation for the future too? Exactly. That's why we have the books. More than welcome to come in and read them. Find out what you're missing. Place those and start moving towards your future now. Develop book clubs and, and things of that nature and, you know, continue to build on on the information that makes sense. We see a lot of black intellectuals want to start the debate thing, and it's not even about debating. It's about building on on the facts, you know. I do an interview maybe once every other month because I don't like the talking too much, you know. (laughs) It's just too much talking. I don't want to do Zoom meetings every day. I like to go out there and do the boost to the ground. We know the problem. We have the answers to the problem. Let's go ahead and push it. Just like where all those different entities and organizations sprouted up at the George Floyd and then all of them dissipated. Nothing's no more. You know, so it's like, what was you really fighting for? Was it just a, hey, you know, you do matter for a moment. Now we're back to normal again. We're going to worry about COVID until somebody else is uh, assassinated. Yeah, it's got to be frustrating seeing so much energy in the last couple of years around things like Black Lives Matter and uh, like protests and a lot of attention, right? Like it's in the news, it's in like the forefront of the national consciousness, but uh, like police violence is still a real thing. Like we have not seen major reforms in use of force. And like, is it frustrating sometimes to see the actual changes not keeping up. It's very frustrating, but I think now as as a collective, we cannot be divided over a, a black and white issue anymore because, you know, everybody's struggling for the most part. Um, we, we see how Congress is doing this, you know what I mean? Um, so it's kind of a, a, a broadened awareness that's taking place, which which is needed. I believe that each cop that is caught doing something wrong, their pension should be taken. They should not have to, they shouldn't have the opportunity to resign and take the money with them. Let's start holding them accountable. Let's start hitting them where it hurts. Hey, you know what? You have a good career as a police officer. We'll pay your way, your kids way through college. Any mishaps, we take everything from you. Now they have to play by the rules of life. 
You know, they can't afford to go out and kill anybody because now it hurts their family. You know, once you start holding them accountable, then they have to, just like they making all the homeless people conform, make them conform. It's supposed to be public servants, not authoritarian enforcers type of thing. Yeah, I mean, it's always been a huge frustration of mine that um, police seem to be above the law, right? Like they, even in cases of, shootings things like that like a cop will get put on a like a paid desk job and still get to be a cop yeah it takes, it takes years and years and years for even charges to be brought in cases where cops like blatantly are murdering people and then it's like four years later they're still a cop and they're like oh we might charge this dude it's like it's, the, it's a systematic problem that that's deeply rooted in the fabric of our society that that still needs to address you know change is needed a lot of people don't want to change because they you know, probably benefited from the systematic problems. So, you know, they say when you when you come from privilege, you have blinders on, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I, <laughs> I get it. I mean, as, as like a white dude who's never had to deal with most of these things, there are a lot of people like me who are just like, oh, it's, that's a real problem, but it doesn't affect me. So mm-hmm. I'm not going to go out and like put myself on the line. I'm not going to actually get involved because at the end of the day, um, it's not actually going to affect me whether these changes happen or not. Is that something that you see from a lot of... Um, not a lot of people, but there have been some some ignorant people that may comment on the post, uh, well, don't break the law, you won't get shot. Like, come on, man, you're, you're so shallow in your view of things that you expose your ignorance by even saying that. Yeah, yeah, just like the overly simplistic way of trying to look at these things when obviously they're very complex systemic problems um, and it's not just this individual case or this like oversimplified way of looking at things. Like there's much more to it than I think a lot of the like internet commenters mm-hmm. <laughs> like might be saying. I'm getting into political stuff here, sorry. <laughs> getting into cop stuff. Um, what do you see people doing? I, I this hope that question isn't too negative like what do you see people doing wrong as far as trying to be helpful but it's not actually helping that much are there people who are they have good intentions and they want things to be better but they're focusing their energy in the wrong way like what would you what do you want people to do people don't want to let go of their pedestal or or their title you know how do you mean there's a lot of people that in position to change some things but um Due to their their pedestal or their title, they don't want to, you know, step out on on heart space and actually focus on change or allocate resources and efforts to change. Mm -hmm. Resources is the big thing. And it seems like that's a big focus for you guys is like actually getting what people need and getting it to them. Right. Like the backpack drives and the book drives and the food stuff. A lot of it seems very clearly like meeting the material needs of people. I, I believe that the resources that we have is we ask for it and it's given. You know, the books say you have not because you ask not. And I believe that with the posts that we show that all the donations that we receive, that it goes back out. Our house is not stocked with it. We're like the Robin Hoods of the neighborhood. We're going to give and give back to those that are less fortunate. And that's where our supplies come in. They see what we're doing with it so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's good that you guys are constantly showing all of the work that you're doing. Like, I follow you guys on Facebook, and it's like every day I see what you're doing as far as giving stuff out. Like, the the general perception that I get is that you guys are distributing constantly, right? Well, what we're missing is more brothers and more sisters. You know, it, it seems like every time we in a picture, it's just him and I and, and a, a table full of food. You know, and I'm, sometimes we get in there, we jamming out, uh, James Brown, hey, I'm black and I'm proud. I'm like, I look at him like, hey, man, I bet this is how the Panthers felt. You know what I mean? This is this is a, a feeling that should be shared with the youth, come in, and it should feel good to have soul, to be black and proud. You know, just, I can just, I, I was born 1980, so I can just imagine how it felt to have the leather on and just feel good to be proud of and, and, and positive in your own skin. You know, so that's what we need. We need we missing those those mothers that say, you know what, man, come on, let's get out of front of that video game. Let's go down here to Black Wall Street and help these young brothers pass out what they giving out. Mm-hmm. How do you get them? <laughs> that's that's the real question. How do you get people to show up? 
It has to be attraction rather than promotion. It has to be the, a will and a want to want to give back to you and your community. It can't just be, hey, let me just grab everything I can and i see you guys later. It has to be more of a, I can take you to all the free pieces that you want to eat, but you can't come help us pass out backpacks. So it's just still kind of, it's, it's still rocky. Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, that sense of like mutual aid, of like helping each other, there's the give and take of that too. It's not just, it's not just coming to collect resources. I would assume that part of the hope is that when people are taking advantage of these services, that they are connecting with you and going to want to contribute in some way themselves, not materially necessarily, but in some kind of volunteer way in some kind of, you know, contributing some service or some, something that they have to offer as well. Right. Is that part of the, the goal of all the distribution is connecting with these communities and like kind of like looping them in with Black Wall Street in general? Yes, we're, we're short the man power, just the man. Like Romar through a, a gathering or, you know, a, a thinking tank where some, some young men of like-minded minds can sit there, talk, and, and put a, um, a, a board up. Uh, and try to work off this board. Hey, this is what we're going to do for this month. Next month, you know, the vision board just comes to life on its own when you got three or more gathered. It's just, like I say, just him and I uh, and a few people behind the scenes. What's the relationship like with uh, with the city, with, uh, like, officials, that kind of stuff? Because you're kind of coming up. Like I said, the governor came and visited you guys. And um, what's the response been from city officials, elected folks, that kind of thing? Because I imagine they kind of play into what needs to get done, right, in terms of building community here in town. So what's that relationship been like? You work with the city at all? Um, have they been supportive? I think they'll come back around when it's time for voting. I think it was all right to take a picture with a, a black business and smile. Hey, this is what I did today more than, hey, what you guys really need type of thing. I think it's a lot of uh, um, picture taking. Hey, you know, this is what we did for Black Wall Street. They, you just said hi. You just had a conversation with us. I mean, thank you for acknowledging us and sending those appreciation award letters. But we can't teach our kids or feed our kids off these award letters and these 10-minute brief conversations. We need you there now and when it's time to vote. I feel that since they see the momentum coming with Black Wall Street and the few meetings that we are having with the uh, um reputable black members in the society then they feel that hey these guys can pull some votes our way you see what i'm saying so it's kind of a uh puppet action thing let me see what i can show my face a few times but that's just my thoughts i don't know what romar thinks so don't let me speak for black wall street that's my thoughts on donald's behalf i like to i like just our, our focus and consistency you know i i don't really tend to think about nobody else's motive or you know i'm just tunnel vision on what we need to do and and how we can accomplish it if if there is some support we welcome it we appreciate it but we aiming at, at getting to the goal getting to the goal yeah no i mean i imagine that's got to be frustrating that there is a like electoral benefit to being seen as more inclusive or more diverse and those kind of things when sometimes there's not actually the action behind it, right? I mean, we've seen that with the Biden administration, how, you know, he wanted all the, all the black votes. And then once he got into office and now he won't even take a black meeting, you know what I mean? Yeah, it, it can get frustrating. That's why you got to, you know, channel your energy and your focus and, and work on what works. Because you can get distracted and discouraged depending and waiting on, on somebody else. Yeah, I get that. Is that part of the reason that you are less of a politically oriented organization is because you found that the political angle or the political action or those conversations are sometimes <laughs> don't actually deliver? Beating around right? the bush, right, right. And yeah, I think that's that's why we focus on, you know, Meeting, meeting the problem where it's at, helping those that want to be helped and keeping it on, on a positive spectrum. I've, I've been in me meetings where we suggest something. They say, well, it got to go through a chain of command. I'm like, well, we need this tomorrow, you know. Like, and so it's just like it's too many rules behind all those 
I mean, it's good to be organized. Don't get me wrong. It, it looks good on paper and for whatever you're doing. But the main thing is I haven't seen anybody boost to the ground. No results. And I don't, when I ask, well, what is the success? I don't like that. It's it's a success record of how others think about it. Like, it's a success. No, no. What is the success? How are we going to stop this suicide prevention? And not just the youth, but as the elder as too, because that suicide has rose, risen. So we're going to work, start working with the uh, elderly as well with suicidal and those that suffer from suicidal ideation, we're going to start working with those. So we're just going to just go out there and just do what needs to be done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think part of this challenge with uh, like organizations sometimes is the the bigger they get or the more political they get, the more bureaucratic they get, the more mm-hmm. layers there are, and the slower everything goes. Mm-hmm. And when you're small and nimble and you're actually doing stuff yourself, you get to see like immediate results on what you're working on, right? What else do you want people to know about Black Wall Street? If you're able to uh, donate time and knowledge, we have a conference room where we post up any events that you would like to host, and we would get everything together for the people to come. It's all free. We do ask for small donations. You know, you're giving your knowledge back. We do have to keep the lights on. Any type of knowledge or volunteer work, for uh, Mondays and Thursdays, please reach out to Black Wall Street. What kind of um, courses or, or meetings or that kind of stuff are you looking for? Like, what do you think the needs are in the community for people to pitch in that that volunteer time? Uh, credit, uh, credit building, how to buy property, all the things that they don't teach us in school, basically. The things, the necessities that we need to make it in everyday life. Excellent. Thank you so much, guys, for coming on the show. It was really awesome to talk to you. I know it was a long time coming. We, I tried to have you on the show like when I first started, but now that I have uh, access to this podcast studio at the National Auto Museum, I can do episodes with multiple people. So it's great to finally get to sit down with you guys and learn more about what Black Wall Street is all about, uh, what you're doing here in town. I think it's really important work to have, uh, like you said, a, a central place, a, a focused energy to build that kind of community and stepping up and taking the lead on that is really important. So I appreciate all the work that you guys are doing in, uh, you know, sacrificing your time and your energy. And like you said, funding this stuff from the beginnings, money coming out of pocket at the beginning, like that is, uh, that's the important work that I think we've been talking about of actually getting out there and doing it. So putting your money where your mouth is, but, uh, yeah, we would just like to thank the Reno sparks community for their support continuous support um those that have have donated or inspired us or gave us a pat on the back or or you know a hand up we greatly appreciate it yes greatly appreciate it we do appreciate it we haven't sent out any thank you email so this is the thank you email thank you awesome well thanks again guys for coming on the show i really appreciate you taking the time thank you listeners thank you for checking out this week's episode of reno whites and special thanks to Don and Romar from Black Wall Street Reno for coming on the show. It's really great to be able to sit down and learn about what Black Wall Street does about the organization and the great work that they're doing. So please check them out. That's blackwallstreetreno.org or follow them on social media. They're doing a lot of great work and I really hope that we can bring more attention to them and the work that they're doing. If you are enjoying this show and want to show your support, there are a few very easy ways to do that. First and foremost, spread the word. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell your social media network that Renoites is an awesome local podcast that has a lot of great guests and interesting interviews and is worth their time. This is an independent project that I started earlier this year, and I'll tell you what, it's a lot of work. And promoting podcasts on the internet is not my favorite part of it. I want more people to know about the show, but it's definitely a struggle to get the word out there about a new project like this. So anything you can do to help spread the word is awesome. Leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. That helps people find the show. Share posts on social media. If you saw this posted on Facebook or Instagram, share the post. Tell your friends. That kind of stuff really helps me out. My primary goal for this podcast is just to have an excuse to talk to a bunch of people who are doing cool stuff in town. But the secondary reason, the other important part, is hopefully to be giving a platform to people and helping spread awareness of those people who are doing important work like the guys from Black Wall Street. So please 
share this post, help us spread the word about people that are doing good stuff in town. I appreciate it. They'll appreciate it. And you get to feel good about helping a small project succeed. It's a win, win, win. That's all I got for you this week. See you next time. (laughs) 